I'm Gentleman Josh Hill. I'm Aaron Jeffrey. I'm Jasmine Jasmus. I'm Mike Malak. I'm Rafael Stop. Tune into Don't Tap. Don't Tap. Don't Tap. Don't Tap Podcast. Don't Tap Podcast. John Jones. Follow me on Twitter. Hey, I'm UFC President Dana White, and you're in the ring with Callum McGregor. To me, the Lions are the number one rankings out there. Those guys are the ones who really do their homework. Man, I like saying the rankings are bullshit. <laughs> From Got a really high fight IQ. For this fight, I'm telling you, it's a flip of a coin. I levels to the shit. So many high level guys. So like the line is crazy. Oh, oh, there we go. Oh, no, we're good. See, he's a pro. All right, I will let you start it off this week. We have Abu Dhabi. We have Fight Island. Um, I'm pretty stoked for this one. What is your first spot? I'll, I'll, I'll let you know. I actually have six spots written down. I don't even know which ones I want to put into the three top spots. We're going to probably end up talking about them all anyways. Um, but yeah, man, there's just a lot, a lot, a lot going on, man. Yeah. I mean, first off, I mean, everybody knows about the shakeups for this week, but um, I think one of the fights that ended up staying intact, that's kind of going a little bit under the radar on the, uh, I think it's the first fight of the main card, if I'm not being mistaken. Uh, um. I'm looking at Saeed Nurmagomedov over Muin Gafarov. Um, Muin Gafarov is definitely a person I've backed before in the past um, with potential. I always think there's potential upside with him, but um, I just don't like the spot for him against Saeed Nurmagomedov. Um, He really feels like he's just starting to break inside the rankings a little bit. And he's looking for a bounce back win off of that loss against Jonathan Martinez. But we saw Jonathan Martinez last week. Maybe Jonathan Martinez isn't the guy that the UFC needs to be putting these uh, upcoming prospects against because when uh, it comes up against it, man, he answers the bell. But um, I love Saeed Nurmagomedov here in this spot. I think his grappling is adequate enough to deal with the grappling style, moving Gafarov. And then I think the striking is going to be where he really shines in this spot. Uh, this is a fight card in Abu Dhabi. Just because it's in Abu Dhabi doesn't mean it just has to appeal to the Abu Dhabians or whatever you call them. It has to appeal to the masses, to the Middle Easterns over there. You don't think they're spending millions and millions and millions and billions of dollars on this UFC card. And they all got their buddies from all over the Middle East and Europe and stuff like that. Uh, so I think uh, Sayun Ramagomedov is uh, set to get back on track and back into the good graces of the USC. And the price tag compared to the other fights on the card, I mean, all anybody with an EVOV is minus 500 or more, and this is the one that isn't. I think he's going to make a lot of the parlays work for us this week if he can get the W. I am with you 100%. That is one of the spots that I was looking at is one of my top three. Um, I'm just not really a huge fan of uh, Gafrov. Um, never have been. I think that even with Analiger, I, I that was one of my first really big um, plus money Dana White contender series homer plays that that hit. Um, he made it greasy enough for him, scrambled on him enough. And it's just Gafrov sort of looks like more and more disinterested as he gets challenged. He is a high-level grappler, but I just don't think that he really, really puts it together enough to actually get enough of a position to land big strikes and or submit someone. So if you're looking at a guy who I've actually sort of faded in the past, which is uh, Nurmagomedov, Madoff, I mean, for me, it's it's his fight against um, Kakramanov that's the biggest thing for me. Kakramanov, who I have I hold in high esteem. and did lose that first round against Kakramanov. 
Yeah, but I mean, I thought Kakramanov was going to come in and steamroll him. Like, I, I, I was very, very high on Kakramanov in that spot. And um, so it, just for me, I've faded him in the past. I mean, his loss to Martinez doesn't look too bad. Martinez is, is an absolute beast. Um, but yeah, it, it, I just think there's levels to this. And I think Gafarov is just not not even close to the spot. I think the line, I think this is one of those lines that could be wider, actually, compared to some of the lines that I think should be tighter um, on this card. So I'm with yeah, you on this. I would find this fight at mine. Minus 300 or minus 350. I mean, it's starting to go up that way, open up at minus 200, going up to 235, 250 in some spots. So, I mean, the public is seeing what we're seeing. And um, I definitely think Sayyid Nurmagomedov is going to close close to that minus 300 spot by Saturday morning. I think, like, the real line on this suggests that he finishes this inside the distance. I think he's going to actually drag Gafarov into deep waters and either submit him off of a, a hit, uh, landing a big shot and or just knocking him out. I, I'm on the inside the distance, man. I think fight doesn't go the distance at minus 120 at Betway's uh, uh, way to look at it. Nurmagomedov I got uh, inside the distance plus 125. I got a good decision. If you look at the five fights on this main card, if I had to grade them between which ones I think that are the likeliest to finish and not to finish, um, this would probably rank towards the back end of the half of fights that I think that are going to go to distance on the main card. I, I mean, think it's a level thing. That's it's the way I'm looking level. at it. That's why I think it, it's, it goes inside the distance. But I see why the two styles of fighters, you can see it actually stretching out over the distance. But I just think that Gaffrod is going to get exposed. Uh, maybe it's a little bit narrative for me. But, um, you know, I even like still still where Nurmagomedov's line is. There's still value to find it even minus, two thir uh, what, I, what, minus 213 at Pinnacle right now. It might be a little bit more inflated now. But, um, but yeah, I mean, uh, Nurmagomedov is a side. I still like the inside the distance. I like. I'll probably hit that plus one twenty five, um, and have that as one of my my one of my plays. I think it's better. One of the weird ways I would try to attack this, uh, instead of betting the inside the distance, I would just bet the minus three and a half. It'll cover you in both spots because I think if you if this goes to the judges scorecards, it's probably a thirty twenty seven. You know what? That's actually a great way to do it. I normally don't attack spread plays from that angle, um, but I actually do think he would probably just dominate um, and or finish. So you know what? I will take a look at that. We'll sort of put an, uh, a pin in the actual inside the distance. I do like that uh, just dominant spot in the minus uh, three and a half. So we'll take a look at what yeah, that line is. Let me see if I can find that line on Bet Online. I'm going on Bet Online right now. Uh, yeah, I haven't seen one yet because um, I was looking for a couple spots. I have a couple spread plays that I definitely am interested in when the line drops to see where the line is. I mean, we'll be able to pull them up. That line is pretty early on this. Yeah, Saeed Nurmagomedov of minus three and a half is minus one thirty for him to win inside a distance is plus one twenty. I would, I would rather okay. bet. It. So I, if you're with that, I'm with that. I think that's probably one of the better ways to play that um, to get value out of him. Um, but even still, man, at minus two thirty. Well, I don't know what the the book's sitting at right now. Money line. What would you say it was? Um, I'm seeing anywhere from minus two thirty five on Fanduel to two fifty on uh, BetMGM. Yeah, it's starting stuff to like that. So, so, I, yeah, I, right. I think it's going to close at minus three hundred. I mean, I this seems like one of the easier spots to like. For example, uh, my next one of my next spots is uh, Askarov in the next fight. He's Close to minus 700, and I I would say I'd rather fade Maureen Gafferov than Morley Alves. So let's go with it. Jump into that 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 one. I think that uh, Alves coming in, and it's short notice, is it not? I just don't see yeah. um, any value there. I even looked at maybe uh, Alves 
first round just to see if there was value in it just because that's his only win condition and if it were to happen you know if there's and it's not even really there's no value there and i just don't think it's going to happen so um take it away with that one yeah um you know back uh i would say not last year but the year before 2021 i used to have a cigar fight of the night the fight that you sit back and you roll up your weed and you just smoke and you watch your money cash and um this is the cigar fight of the night i think he's absolutely gonna smoke really alves here in this spot but it's not going to be one of those spots where the favorite comes out smokes him within the first minute or he does something like he did the phil halls or something like that i think it's going to be a round two round three finish and specifically round two would be the angle to attack here in this spot uh Os oscarov to win in round two is plus 330 for a round two prop that's absurdly low so the book you see what we're seeing here this is a worthy alves come out hot and kind of fade off in the back end of the first round. And hopefully we're praying to our fucking TV that it goes into the beginning of the second round. Cause I think it's, I think that's how this fight goes. Alves comes out here, swings big bombs, ends up getting caught by something, then gets taken down to the ground. If he gets taken down to the ground, uh, he gets back up. Then they start striking again. Then he gets clipped, drops back against the cage, and then he probably quits. I don't know if that's the end of the first round or the beginning of the second round. So, I'm going to go with uh, Askarayev um, as probably the most secure parlay piece of the card. Um, this is a hard – you're talking about – before we even get into the dynamics of the spot, uh, just by styles, this isn't a good spot for him. And then we add into the other factors, taking this fight on short notice, you're flying from all the way from Brazil to Abu Dhabi. Shit, I'd rather fly from Las Vegas to Abu Dhabi than fly from fucking Brazil to Abu Dhabi. Just getting out of Brazil alone is a fucking trip in itself. So I don't know, man. This just seems like a spot where uh, UFC calls you, you take the money, and you run. Alaskara, four-inch reach advantage, southpaw, um, has the volume, and on the ground has the control. And I don't think Alves will even have anything for him um, off his back or anything when it comes to the submissions. And, I mean, you don't want to be on your back anyways because you're just going to get smashed. So I'm with you on this one. I think that it's pretty – it's pretty binary how this is going to happen. It's just going to be Elvis is going to come out a little hot. He's either going to get caught right away or he's going to fall off a cliff and get destroyed. Um, I just, the percentage of him actually landing a big shot is just so low. I think in this one, Ellis Gara have a, a very safe spot this week. And I, and I would definitely look at him as a parlay piece. Um, yeah. And more, then on top of that, like for the people that are scared by like, let's just say he has a knockout shot. I mean, dude was preparing for fucking Pablo Costa and yeah. Nazarene, you know, like he was preparing for big shots regardless. I, I think this is a huge step down in competition. Shit, I think this is an easier fight than the Phil Hall's fight that he had. Because, I mean, Phil Hall's at least has an American wrestling background style that kind of seems to be what the uh, Dagestanians are kind of like really lacking is like the American folk style wrestling. So that I think the Phil Hall's fight was probably a little bit of a tougher fight, but I mean, Phil Hall's has a glass chin, so I can't really say that Alves is a vet, but he's coming in here for a paycheck, kind of like uh, somebody on the main card that I know. Okay. Okay. So yeah, no, I'm, I'm with you on this spot. I think uh, it's definitely, like I said, it's pretty straightforward as to how that one will go. I'm going to come in with a spot and I didn't want to go there. But I'm going to do it. I'm going to pull out another typical cow spot. I'm going to talk about Tim Elliott. Um, I, I got to do it. 
And I don't know where the value is. If you can look for me right now, because I couldn't find it yet at, at the plus three and a half. That's going to be like where I want to attack this. If there's any value, but right now he's plus 350 on FanDuel. And it's just more about Makayev. Makayev, although like his price tag is getting a little bit tighter on his fights, it's just been so astronomically wide. And a guy who had his knee busted in his last fight, and and typically, I mean, I know he came back and won. There's so much to be said in that, but that shouldn't happen with a guy who's at min- like minus whatever the hell he was when it closed. Then we have a situation where he fights Malcolm Gordon. Malcolm Gordon takes him into deep waters and El grapples him at times and wins even around on him. And I know that Malcolm Gordon like. No slouch in the grappling game, a high-level black belt. But it's just his price tag is always constantly wide, and eventually that's got to come home to roost. And is it going to be Tim Elliott? I don't know for the full fight, but if there is value in that one round, I think a guy who, who, although he's been subbed, and, I mean, we can talk about who subbed him. Um, If you look here, we have five of Tim's 12 losses have come via sub. But his last two most recent um, and, and more relevant rate really would be to Brandon Royval and Deves and Figueredo. But I just don't know if, um, you know, a guy like Mokayev is going to be able to take Tim Elliott down and hold him down and not have Elliott scramble up on him and make it so greasy that I'm looking at maybe a decision that likely is still a Mokayev decision because he's, he's had dominance positions and it's his spot and he's in Abu Dhabi. But does he get it unanimous? I don't know, man. So I'm just interested in the spread play. And I think that even Elliott can make it, really greasy in that third round. I just think that there's a lot of value here. There's a difference in the strength of schedule. And, and I, I don't know if this is the spot to catch Makaya Vaughn because I just I, I don't know if he really is put it all together fully at that level yet to be warranted these minus 400s, minus 800s, minus 1200s that he's had. Um, I don't know, man. I just think Tim Elliott, there's way, way too much value here. So I'm going to jump on the Tim Elliott train here. What's the plus three and a half? Uh, plus three and a half was around that plus one thirty range. So they think he's going to get submitted, and yeah. I'm going to jump all over that because I don't think it's going. That I, I sure I see because he's been submitted in, in a lot of his fights. Um, last one was 2020. Um, leaving uh, James Krause's camp is going to only do you know, it's only going to do a plus for him. At the same time, you know, let, let's not get into the shady shit that could have went on with some of his fights in the past being in the Krause's camp. Um, so yeah, I man, I just think that there's value here. And I just think that, um, Tim Elliott being a guy who fights for your money, who makes it greasy, pushes a pace. And I just feel similar to the Elkins situation where it was going to be slippery and greasy. And I mean, Elkins outshone what I even thought in that, that fight last week. It's not that I'm searching for the crazy dog here. I think the spread play is the way to attack this. Um, cause I think it goes the distance. I don't think he gets up. I don't, uh, Tim's my guy, man. Uh, you know, I backed him heavily in his last spot, um, a spot that everybody was talking about, the divorce and the situation and stuff like that. And he seemed to somewhat answer the bell there in that spot. But this is not it, man. This is one of those spots where people I feel like have the recency bias of the Tyre, Uli, and Beckoff spot, and they kind of see a big price tag and they see an underdog spot. But this is what the bookies want. This is what the bookies want. They want the big. They want the big parlay favorite to have underdog money shots on them and stuff like that. So when the favorite comes through, it's not really that big of a wash. There's a lot of people that are probably going to bet Tim Elliott this week because of the resume that he has and stuff like that. But for this fight specifically, I just don't see. If you tell me how Tim Elliott wins, I just don't see it. 
he throws more volume over 15 minutes stat wise, but like, I don't know, man. I think the UFC gave this fight because Muhammad Makayev is reckless. There's one thing to say about Tim Elliott. He's reckless. He's untrustworthy. He's the guy that fucking gets to take down and he's on top and that he's the one that's pulling the fucking guillotine and he's getting switched off or he's on bottom. Now he's on top. Like there's Tim Elliott is a hey, very he's not Cody inconsistent. Brandon, but let, let's be real about he's it. Not Charles Johnson got taken down 12 times and got back up again. Charles Johnson and Tim Elliott, if they fought, there's a level to to this this game right now. And I just think that Tim Elliott's fought some of the greater guys in the division. Sure, he's lost to some of the greater guys in the division, but there's still value in that. And this is something that we discussed last week that you were on the side of, right? There's value in a loss too. So my my reality check here is I just think that Mokayev has now stepped up. A, 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 there's a step here. And if you look at it, Mokayev against Durden, I mean, whatever. Guillotine joke, I don't care. The Durden fight, put it aside. But Johnson, he takes down 12 times, can't finish him, um, and lets him get back up 12 times. No real control in that fight, just constantly on his hips trying to take him down, but not really doing much with it. So with Elliott, in that scenario, if that were to be a sort of scenario where he gets taken down a bunch of times, but pops back up and makes it scrambly, and then lands better shots because he would land way better shots. Makayev's stand-up is not very good, right? Sure, young guy can leaps and bounds become better and better. But there is a world where this gets greasy as hell. And there's at least one round where we're like, oh, Makayev's got to really put a stamp on this in the third round because Elliot just stole that, that potentially that second round. And if you're going to give it to me plus money, that's where I'll attack this because I do think this goes the distance. Um, I may even look at the over on, on this as well, too. Because, I mean, look, Malcolm Gordon made that greasy as fuck. And I get it at the end. He sort of faded and then got his arm taken. But, like, he made that greasy as fuck. And then even with, like, he just... With, with Philo, like, he almost got his leg ripped completely off. And a different referee makes a different decision in that situation. It's just greasy, man. And, and, I, and I get him being in Abu Dhabi. It's sort of stacked for him, too. And I get his pedigree on the ground and on the cage, but not on the feet. And I just think that w when you look at Tim Elliott, he's fought what? Like, even if you look at his list, it's like, like I said, Roy Val, Nicolau. Yeah, you said Ulenbecki. Um Askarov, Figueredo, like it's just, it's not even the same. Louis Smoka, Demetrius Johnson, he's been around forever. And I just think that when the line's wide enough with these bets, these are the situations I like to jump on. So for me, it's just, it's sort of a cow bet, win, but I see what you're saying. How does he win though? Like if you had to pick one specific method of victory for Tim Elliott, how, what, what would it be? I think he could either out-volume him on the feet, making it greasy as hell and landing bigger shots. But the thing is, I, I'm I'm looking at one round, man. I like the one round. I I, I came in looking at the spread play. I, I like the one round, especially because it's plus money. I just think. I, I think it's plus money, but I don't know, man. I mean, plus 195, uh, the, I, I don't know, man. I think Bakayev can win this U-name decision plus 115, or he could submit him off some dumb shit that Tim Elliott's going to do. I, I don't know, man. It's just, I have Mikhaev in a parlay from last week, and um, I okay. This is why this is so, this dynamic is so good, because I throw something out there. Either we're on the same side at times, or you come out and we're on completely ends of the spectrum is what makes it so good. So um, I'm with it, and I knew that it would be controversial throwing out Tim Elliott, but I just think that it is going to go the distance. I think even okay. I don't have to look at the over and see what the over and the value in that is. But um, 
I just think that they're, constantly we have these young up and coming talents with wrestling upside that fight vets that know how to work around it and land bigger shots and at least win moments. And maybe as soon as these spread plays started coming out, you started throwing uh, that idea my way. That was it for me. So bring your I next spot to the table. Like, if you like Tim Elliott, you should probably just attack the over. The over two and a half is minus 185. It, on and I don't mind that either as another play too. I'll probably play, I'll probably honestly play the spread and and the over but um i'll probably put the over on a higher up on the on the card as far as a play because um i just think that that's another way to attack when you when you think the dog potentially could win or there's value in it in some way attacking that over is definitely something there i don't think he's gonna get taken down and submitted um watch him get submitted in the first fucking minute but uh anyway Come on, man! You don't want to yeah, see Tim Elliott. You don't want to see Tim Elliott win and, and yell out to Gina Mazzani and then and and yell out a plug to his sponsorship of the bare knuckle fight against his boy Kevin Kroom. I I just don't. I, I really don't see it for Timmy here in this spot. I really don't. Like you talk, you talk about UFC fighter pay that they give you Bahamut Bakai of your next fight. Like all right, <laughs> like I don't know, man. I just don't see it. For talk Timmy about here. a greasy Maybe narrative. This was a Vegas. I, yeah, this is my underdog in the night here, man. Uh, we got Cedric Dumas versus Abu Azatar, and I guess people got a nasty taste about the brother Atman Azatar, but I'm gonna go with King Morocco here over Cedric Dumas, man. Um, this is an unpopular pick. This is not one that I'm gonna fucking throw a fucking max. Is this a, is this a, the man lined the pockets kind of pick and has like everybody from Morocco, like the prince and and everybody back in this this fight, and the, it's just gonna go a certain way. Is that is that the storyline you're going with? Very. So my thing is this: Abu and Atman are prize fighters. Prize fighter. A definition of a prize fighter is a person that knows that they're not gonna fight for a title at any time, but they fight in fun and entertaining fights in exchange for money and popularity. And Abu and Atman are fucking homies when i mean homies like homies with the prince of morocco and they don't get high level fights but they get adequate level fights fights that catch the intrigue of people because you don't know which way it's gonna go and this is another one of those fights you got cedric dumas coming over here from america over to uh abu dhabi to fight abu man i mean What's in the bag? I think what's going to be in the bag this weekend is 50K bonus for Abu after he knocks out Cedric Dumas. Uh, Cedric Dumas, granted, he won that fight over Cody Brundage, but that was a fight that he just had to show that he wasn't a dumbass and just stay out of bad spots and uh, just stay on top and win the 15-minute decision. I think that this fight, push comes to shove. These motherfuckers are going to be swinging. A lot of people think it's Cedric Dumas and it's written in stone. Opened up at minus 175, going up to 235 in some spots. Well, I'm here to tell you, Abu Azatar, Scott, the king of Morocco on his side. And uh, what's in the bag? Uh, last time it was supposed to be potatoes, but uh, Yasada is out the door. I think what could be in the bag is a bunch of steroids and a big 50K bonus after he knocks out Cedric Dumas this weekend. Yeah, I... I I like the narrative, uh, definitely an interesting narrative, but I think that being over there, there's got to be some of that going on. I mean, it happens over here. It happens in Vegas. It happens with, with 
it is what it is. It happens with certain groups that will influence certain things. Um, so I can't imagine that it's not going to happen over there. I have no real take on the fight. I didn't. I don't want to even speak ignorantly on it because I haven't looked at how they would match up. And Azatar, I mean, he, he performs only over there, and it's once a year, and it's you know few and far between. And but I, I get fully what you're saying. So I'll let your narrative ride. Um, I won't challenge that narrative at all. Um, sounds good to me. Um, as it's a, a winnable like, fight. It, it's a it's a one of those fights of like, uh, you know, the always the dichotomy in sports betting is finding value and where does the value match up and winning. There's multiple passive victories here for Abu Azatar. If he has fifteen minute cardio, I think. If he has 15-minute cardio, I think he can win a decision by having just more damaging shots. And I also think there's a shot where he could absolutely smoke him in the first round because, I mean, Josh Frum is out here clipping you and submitting you on the ground and stuff like that. Josh Frum ain't no world beater. He's just a good guy in the gym that ended up getting the job in the UFC. Like, he's not some world beater. I think this is a winnable fight. If there is, they're in the matchmaking room and they said, we have a card in Abu Dhabi and uh, the Saudi Arabians want to uh, see a W out of Abu Azatar, let's give him a winnable fight. I think Cedric Dubas's name got floated around, and this is a fight where, uh, you know, Azatar could be moving back up in the rankings, which he's really not doing at 37 years old at middleweight. So, I mean, there, there's no appeal for boosting this guy's resume long-term-wise. He's 37 years old at the middleweight division. He's never going to be top 15, but there is an appeal in the overseas market I would imagine what? the King Morocco's got to get the W there, man. And what's the plus three and a half on that? And my only thought is if it does go the distance, like even if you didn't get full bias and, and say like they can't make it happen on the judges' scorecards, one just comes out with a sloppy bias card to really get you on even in the worst case scenario. This is just the most recency bias of recency bias fights. Uh, plus oh, I, I agree. I agree. Abu is minus 120, but like – Remember mm -hmm. after the Josh Frem fight, everybody was like, Cedric Dumas should never be a minus 200 over anybody in the UFC ever again. Well, People forget. Real boom. quick. They, they forget it, like that. I just don't yeah, see no, it. I'm with you. I like it. Definitely value in, in taking a shot on that because there is vet savvy to him. Um, he has been around for a little bit of time, even though he has been fighting infrequent. Um, okay. Next spot I will bring to the table. I was trying to – could look through them because I got I told you I wrote down multiple ones. I'm gonna go with the Ankaliyev Walker fight, and fight doesn't start round three. Um, I just think that either Ankaliyev is gonna expose Walker really early, even if he tries to play a modest game, and just land and and, and suck him into throwing a big shot and then landing a, a counter and, and just you know leveling him. I don't think he's gonna try to point Walker and he's gonna want to try to get him out of there when he can. Um, and or just take him down right away and just maul him. I, I, I just don't see Ankalaev sticking around in this one like that. And or you have Walker come in and just march forward and land a big crazy shot. And I see, I just see it's one of those two things. I don't think this one's going to stretch over at all. Um, minus 135 right now. Um, fight doesn't start round three. That's think the way that that fight lays out in my head. I wanted to look like ankle live at minus 599. That's just not playable. Although I think he is leaps and bounds levels above Walker. Walker just always presents that problem that he can land some crazy fucking shot that could totally change the line. So 
Um, I do like fight doesn't start round three at minus 135. I don't know if this this fight's on your radar, but what's your take on this one? Yeah, this is actually one of the fights to have a more stronger take on. Uh, Johnny Walker's actually one of my uh, one of my favorite all-time fighters. But I'll tell you, in Johnny Walker's head, going into this fight, when they ring the bell and all that stuff, he thinks he's a better striker than Muhammad Ankalaev. And I'll tell That's you, not right now, he's not a better striker than Muhammad Ankalaev. And how I see this fight playing out is Johnny Walker thinks that he's a better striker. He's going to walk forward and he's going to get clipped with something here in this spot. And uh, if you if there's anything that Muhammad uh, Ankalaev has learned over the last couple of years is, um, hey, buddy, you might have the skills and the attributes of being the best light heavyweight in this division, but until you start going 110% and start screaming 50K bonus and start having the mic, you're going to have to do something to really shock the people. And that. Do you think he's there? Do you think he's there Jan, now? Yeah, bro. That Jan Blakovich fight has to be an eye opener because yep, if you came down to skill sets and like levels, Muhammad Ankle Live is by far the best light heavyweight. He has the striking that can compete with a guy like Alex Pereira and Yuri Prakashka and the wrestling that can defend off anybody in this division with a good submission game. So it's just like, why isn't he the guy? Well, he isn't the guy because he hasn't really he hasn't really had that real powerful moment in the UFC yet. I mean, Anthony Smith, that was more of an injury than anything else. That's his big powerful moment well the big powerful moment right here is being in your home part of the country you have johnny walker a face of the a face of the fans of the ufc the face that everybody knows of or recognizes uh they might not know the name but they recognize the face i could see johnny walker just getting clicked here in the spot by muhammad ankalaev and um i like ankalaev a lot here in the spot uh this seems like a very winnable fight for him and um I, I'm just really high on him, man. I really think he is the best light heavyweight in this division by a wide margin. It's just that they're not going to give him the title shot because of certain circumstances. I've sort of shot on him in the past, and because of him not wanting to put his foot on the gas and, and really sort of state that claim. And it's, I think it's more just because you can see the talent of somebody and you want to sort of see them get that moment and take that moment, right? He does play the outside well. Similar, I, I don't want to like anoint him like John Jones. But he plays that outside really well and sort of sets you up and baits you in and then counters you as you enter the pocket and or can take you down. So he just presents so many threats. And I think that a guy like Walker, even if he plays a reserved approach, it won't play well for him. If he's going in with what you're saying, I just think Ankali with what I, I know it's narrative, but I'm with you on the fact that I think he has a chip on his shoulder right now. Um, you, you can't sit well. Like he was, he was pissed off. He was clearly pissed off that he didn't win that fight. Um, so I can only imagine that he, he's got to have taken that into camp. And they're looking for a finish on this. And I think that's maybe where the line's baked in a little bit. But um, the the Walker other side of it sort of scares me as well, too. But I do like the the fight doesn't start round three, definitely. And uh, I think Ankalaev's definitely the side. If you start looking at props and Ankalaev, I think uh, it makes sense as well, too. Yeah, if you're looking from a prop angle of this and trying to just reduce the price tag, I would probably go with KO or Decision as a partly piece at minus 260. Um I think that if he doesn't knock him out, it's just going to be just a bunch of like Johnny Walker falling up against the cage. You think he's about to go out, but he's not going out type of shit. Like, I don't know, man. I, I just don't. Johnny Walker would have to clip him with something to win this fight. And I just don't see the odds of him clipping him. Uh, it really in his cards in his favor, man. I mean, Ankle Ive, the biggest attribute that I would say about watching the film on him is his fucking reflexes, man. That dude has fucking 
his reaction. What Walker by KO, just to play the other side of it, um, and I only mean this because for anybody actually listening that wants to play Walker, it almost doesn't even make sense to play him even at the dog money. I would rather just yeah. play Walker KO because I think that's his only win condition. Yeah, Walker by KO is plus 600. That's the only way I think he wins. Yeah, I mean, so if you actually think Johnny Walker wins, he does not win a decision. Because um, if he makes it to the end, it's because he's played very safe with low volume. It's, for some reason, Ankalaev hasn't overcommitted. Um, and and Ankalaev still wins a decision with maybe one or two takedowns. That's like a, a low play scenario. I just think Ankalaev's going to come in and starch him. But Walker by KO is the only way you play it if you play at plus 600. But Ankalaev, I think, is the side. And I do like, like I said, round doesn't start round three at minus 135, but I'm with you on uh ankle i have to finish some performance at the distance yeah and this is back to the conversation that we we're having a little bit earlier about uh just fights on the main card like i do think that that fight has a sneaky way of finishing i think akram is probably going to win him round he's just going to win that fight probably inside the distance and then we go to the one that I kind of want to talk about here is uh, it's kind of more of a developing story than anything else. Uh, Kamzat Chimaya versus Kamara Usman. I like fight doesn't go to distance at minus 182. Um, going to the pre-open workouts, you know, like during fight week when they do the workouts and stuff like that, him and Justin Gaethje were grappling or whatever, and you couldn't really hear it, but you could kind of see the words off of his mouth. Uh, when Usman, so like, you know how like the person's just playing ragdoll dummy? Well, I guess Gaethje heard something and he kind of like went back a little bit to let Usman like pick him up and like slam him down or whatever. And when he slammed him down and Usman was in top mount, Gaethje said, Are you all right, bro? And he said, Ah, uh, yeah, something popped. That does not sound good for somebody that historically has chronic knee injury going up a weight class going halfway across the country on short notice it just seems like a spot where he's gonna have to the way Kamzat Chimaev fights is he's a firefighter like meaning he's gonna go in there he's gonna get in front of your face and you're gonna have to put up or shut up because you're gonna your lights are gonna be put out short if you don't put up and Kamara Usman's never really faced somebody like that a lot of the people that he's fought that really came up in his face and really went all gritty. What, Kobe Covington, Gilbert Burns for a round? Like, and those people were able to touch and find the chin of Kamaru Usman. So it seems like a spot here where if Kamaru Usman does win, he's going to have to fucking do something miraculous to get Chimaev out of there and submit him as being one of the best of all time, blah, blah, blah. But blase, blase. But I also think there's a high likelihood that I don't know, man. I just think Chimaev clips him with – there's not clear evidence that Chimaev is going to clip Kamaru Usman in the film. But narrative speaking and just the way things are setting up, it, maybe it's a Darce choke. Maybe it's a knockout. I don't know. But I just don't see this fight going to distance in the co-main event, man. I really don't. Uh, there's a lot of different ways this fight can finish. And the books have this fight lined at minus 182 fight not to go to distance. I'd probably be waiting for the under two and a half. But um, I like the under. I like no distance. I think there's going to be a lot of violence in this Chimaev and Guzman fight. Yeah, there's the narrative the, of the almost retired um, knee knee surgeries, knee injuries, um, short notice, like 10 days out against one of the biggest vicious wrestler slash 
whatever you want to call him, forces in, in the UFC. Um, although you want, we can look at the levels of it, it's just like that's all you can talk about with Usman in this situation. And it's like he did – like Kobe Company did present some pace and pr like pressure, but he doesn't present that power or risk of that power. And I think that you, you're 100% right. He's, um, like Usman's not going to be able to hang out on the, on the outside and try to play that pot shot, jab, land the big shot with the threat of the takedown because you're going to have um, – Chimaev marching forward. He's going to actually have to bite down on his mouthpiece, tuck his head, and throw an overhand and land a big shot. And I, so I, I see, I, I see exactly where you're sort of lining up with that fight doesn't go or the the under there because, um, yeah, I, I just you think that's the way he's going to have to win this fight. I think the chaos that Chimaev will bring for three rounds. I mean, late in the fight, in the third round, I could see something sketchy, but I mean, I just I don't know. I just I see exactly what you're looking at. I think that. This fight probably ends pretty early. I didn't really want to touch this one too much just because of the 10 days and whatever else. I mean, you're either going to jump into the fire with it because it's on 10 days and, and sort of, you know, the angle on it or you're not. I sort of stayed off it, but I fully see exactly uh, how you're approaching it because, um, yeah, I think Usman short notice just screams this fight doesn't go. Oh, man, wait until the press conferences come out and stuff like that. And, like, all you see this fight week is the – my meme of them doing the interview and him having a scary face and stuff like that. Everything that the social media clues are giving out for this one, Usman's knees popping. Chimaev's scary guy. Uh, the best. This was supposed to be the best fight ever at 170. Now it's at middleweight. It just has screaming fight. Doesn't go to distance all over it. And for people that don't know, in Chimaev's personal life, um, he has claimed the Dubai flag as his home now he is not from sweden anymore he is claiming the dubai flag so we'll probably see that uh come out with the flag across his back i i, I just man this just seems like a uh he is the israel is Adesanya what, of the region not even this is what I, this fight's in abu dhabi at either at arena well this is what they pay for is this shit to be entertaining <laughs> like Okay, so I have a couple more spots on here. I'm trying to juggle with which one I want to actually bring up. I think that uh, th there's one guy that's pretty unproven that I think that might get exploited at least a little bit in this one. And I think that because, you know, Breeden has had his lights turned out by, say, a Terrence McKinney, um, we're looking at him as being not durable. And I know he has been knocked out multiple times in his fights. I just, I don't know if I see it with Jubilee here. And looking at the line, um, Someone with a little bit more vet savvy, once again, and I just think with Jubilee, like he hasn't proven really anything with with what he can do. I think that he's not going to present a pace and pressure on the feet that's going to be a problem for Breeden, I think necessarily. Um, and I just don't know, like whose wrestling is going to be better. Who's like as these guys? How is this going to negate? And at minus two ninety eight for a guy who just hasn't really looked remarkable at all, and I think that we're just trying to sort of highlight maybe a country, which is great, but. I mean, I'm going to try to look at where I can see value in a fight. And and for me, I, I won't take a full shot at the dog, but I do like the potential on the over. This is the way I was looking at this one. Over two and a half at minus 120. I think Breeden drags this out. I mean, Jubilee may win the fight. They may give it to him, whatever you want to, way you want to look at it. But um, the over two and a half is a way to look at it. And I think that he even maybe steals a round as well, too. What's the plus three and a half on Breeden? Trying to pull it up right now, but I, 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 I see what you mean by odds, but man, like, 
This just screams uh, pink slip written all over it. Yeah, I know that's something that you look at with Dana White Contender Series coming to a fold, but I just don't I mean, really bro, see it at this level in Jubilee at all. I don't think this is someone they're trying to necessarily sell. But, I mean, I, I get it. They're trying to throw in this new guy from India, trying to push that to some degree and maybe give Breeden his walking papers um, at the same time. But, I mean, just Breeden's losses come to McKinney, to Levy, Hernandez, Romero. And I know he's on a four-fight losing streak, but those guys aren't even, like – it's just a – this weird sort of level up with Jubilee, I don't really quite trust. Um, so this wasn't one of my major plays. It's just one I wanted to talk about. The plus three and a half is something that interests me. What's the line currently sitting at? What'd you say? Uh, plus three and a half was plus 140. I just, I, I, I can't better spread on this, man. I mean, the number one Achilles heel on Mike Braden is, the skill attributes don't look that half bad. Like you see him strike, you see him throw, you see him wrestle, you see his takedown defense. Not that half bad. It's just can the dude take a fucking clean shot across the face? I don't. I, I don't think so. Is, is Jubilee the? But do you think Jubilee's like McKinney though? Clean? I I no. I think Jubilee is. Really, still trying to find out who he is himself. I mean, if you look at some of his fights on the road to UFC, he showed a couple of chinks in the armor, hence why people are betting the uh, breeding line. But, I mean, against Sergei, he kind of seemed to put it all together in that fight. Um, granted, that could just be the stylistic of matchups. But I don't know, man. It just, it just doesn't seem like uh, – if you want to get in front of an underdog, usually the two main components that you want to be betting on is – better cardio inside a distance ability and a decent enough chin to stay in there. And I just think those are all three of the Achilles heels of Mike Breeden. Yeah. I, I maybe looking at it. Cause I think it's maybe overshot a little bit about the chin. Uh, Cause I just think McKinney just turns the lights out. Um, I know he's been knocked out more than once, like I said, but I don't know. I just, I see some value in that line. The other one I was looking at oh, was um, the wow. Javi Basharat fight. Um, and Henry, I mean, I think that line's a little bit wide, but I think Basharat wins this one. I think even looking at him by decision and or even looking at – they're saying fight goes the distance is minus 250, and they're saying that Basharat is minus 530. So they're suggesting a decision win. Um, so, I mean, I just it's minus 150, Basharat by decision. Um, it just seems pretty straightforward for me. I, I think Henry's just – the skill's all there, but I just think Basharat's going to be one step ahead of him with everything that he does on the feet and or in the grappling exchanges. Um, I think Basharat wins. I do have him in parlays, but that would be one of the hesitancies is uh, always when you're betting a big favorite, you want you want them to have the capabilities of knowing that they're going to smoke them inside the distance with the upside of winning by a unanimous decision. So I don't know, man. Like you're betting on a minor 700 that's probably just going to win by a unanimous decision. Just feels a little bit weird, but um, – that's the type of card that we have this week. But uh, one of the big dog shots that I feel like nobody's really talking about, but when you uh, – if you erase the names and you put the situation, you would – it turns your head a little bit here, man. Uh, and it's a situation I kind of got fucked over by with in the last time that he fought. Um, Nathaniel Wood versus Muhammad Naimov here. Um, Nathaniel Woods sporting a big price tag at minus 350. Granted, uh, he's one of the uh, staple faces in the division and stuff like that. But, I mean, he's still kind of getting used to this featherweight division. Granted, he's won a couple of the sub subsequent fights, 
against Andre Feely and Charles Jordan. But there's one takeaway that I really felt like in that fight, in those two fights, where that he didn't really look any bigger. Like, he just looked like he wasn't cutting as much weight. Like, his frame is so big, and he's this big light, uh, this big featherweight or anything like that. It's, it's not really... I don't know. A lot of his game is really just striking on the feet, maybe mix it in with a takedown or two. And what happens if he mixes it on the feet with a guy that's bigger than him? Uh, I mean, I think Muhammad Naimov um, could just be the bigger guy in this one. And that could really just make him a live dog in this spot. Um, he's flirted around with lightweight and featherweight majority against Jamie Malarkey. That kind of, I feel like the last fight against Jamie Merlarkey really just erases all of the stuff that you really seen on the contender series against Colin Anglin. That wasn't the same exact guy as the dude that fought Jamie Malarkey. I mean, against Colin Anglin, he was minus 230, uh, not minus 230, minus 325 in that spot on the contender series. Um, I, I can't really say tough enough is a organization I really give a fuck about or even heard of. So, I mean, I'm not shocked that he won all those fights inside a distance and won one fight by split decision. So that does give you a little bit of hesitancy, but it's more of like styles make fights. This dude has good cardio. He's training at elevation fight team. Um, he's going to give a good account of himself striking wise and I don't think he's really outmatched in one particular category enough to make him a plus two fifty five underdog in this spot. Yeah, I think a lot of people are looking at fading wood in this spot, thinking that durability may be the issue. Um, another one I sort of stayed off, but um, just because that wood, although it has been at a certain level, I think that Naimov can definitely come in and, and put on some pressure and, and land some big shots. If it goes, that I, I couldn't really see this going the distance if it does wins the bigger moments and or gets him out of there as well too so i definitely could see the side on it um i'll come in with just the last little quick spot um just another one i was looking at just because i haven't touched on women's mma um it's not one i'm completely totally strong on but i think Jinyu fry is just i think this is a case of that narrative of what you've been talking about it's time to give some people their walking papers um and i think dudakova is going to be the one to do it i think she's going to do it by decision keep it nice and simple with some takedowns and land some a little bit more volume just from more advantageous situation, like top position, essentially. Um, so I'll go with, uh, you know, a lot of people are thinking it's a little bit, little bit greasy, but I, I like Dudakova by decision at minus 110. Uh, line maybe has inflated a little bit since then, uh, since I last looked at it, but I think uh, Dudakova by decision would be the way to attack this one uh, as another player as well, too. Yeah, this is a frustrating fight because I feel like the live – uh, the odds of this fight are more reflective of what the live odds are probably going to be at the end of round one. And I just don't, I just don't see it for Jimmy Fry. This just seems like a walking paper fight. The, it's written all over it, but the actual skill level of Victoria due to COVID could be high, but it could be low. Like uh, it's really hard to gauge. I mean, we didn't really learn anything in the Stella Nunes fight. The contender series fight still wasn't really that great of a performance. She only got signed to the UFC because Dana White kind of liked her. I, I just don't know. Man. I, I don't. It just seems weird that she's this big of a favorite, but if you, I, I just couldn't put my money on the dog here in the spot, regardless of the, the price tag is. Uh, this just seems like a, um, honestly, the, a couple of these fights on the prelims, like the prelims just in general, 
for this fight card feel kind of Bellator-ish, where uh, you just see big favorites. Yeah, there's pretty wide lines, and uh, but I just think that uh, yeah, I, I think your your narrative sort of rang out for me in this one. I think it's just Junior Fries uh, walking paper time, and although Dudikova may not be solid on the feet compared to where I think she could be. Uh, I just think that she's going to be able to take this to the ground and sort of do what she wants to do and get a decision because she's in a region of the world where that makes sense. And it just sort of falls all in line with what you were, what you sort of say about the the, the narrative of the Dana White Contender Series signings and how many to be signed this year. It wasn't a record this year. So um, decision. That's what I'm saying. And like a record signing of more people in the promotion a lot of these motherfuckers that we're seeing on these last couple of cards from October to December are definitely getting cut. I mean, it feels like every time you're looking on Twitter, you see a whole entire new list of people cut on every Monday. And it's usually like 10 names like uh, AJ Fletcher just got cut from the UFC and do got signed the contender series like a year and a half. John McDessie got cut off of a fight that he actually won. Um, he beat Jamie Malarkey in that fight. And they That's cut what it's been around since people are getting caught right. time. They cut him on a, a bad decision, but okay. Yeah, no, that's, they gotta they gotta make room for all their all those fifteen and fifteens. Right? Fifteen fifteens, man. That's what's that's what's paying that's but, what's but you know what that is? That's purely that's purely the corporation, right? It's it's a corp it's a it's so many people pulling the strings now and it's like they're they're like, This is how we cut things. It's the same way when, when you have big hours during peak season and they cut your hours down to absolutely nothing when it's off season in any corporation. That's what they're doing right now. They're they're cutting, they're trimming away the the limbs. So um any other spots that you could you could think of? I, I sort of it's a mix mash there because I sort of threw it a bunch, but um there's just some spots I was interested in looking at. Even talking that out with you about the Dudakova line, uh the breeding line now is starting to scare me a little bit more. So um that may be something that I sort of put way in the back burner, but the rest of them I'm still feeling pretty solidly about. Anything else that you can think of that you want to talk about moving forward? Got to talk about the main event here. Uh, what's your opinions on this Islam Makhachev versus Alexander Volkanovsky, number two? Uh, the fight that everybody was really hoping that we were getting in the back of our minds. I mean, we all love uh, Chuck Yalas, but there was still a little bit of left to be desired in the fans' uh, thought process of uh, how this fight could have went if there was another couple more rounds added to it because um, ultimately re-watching the fight, there's – one spot in the fourth round where Volkanowski just kind of, he kind of just blew the fight. And that was kind of like, it was kind of just like a back and forth fight, back and forth fight, depending on what one judge's scorecard could say. And then another one. And then that end of the fourth round kind of just blew it for Volkanowski. And then the fifth round kind of sealed it for Islam. I thought Islam like won I thought Islam won. I didn't think it was that greasy of a decision. Everybody went on Twitter saying Volkanowski got robbed. Did Volkanowski give a way better performance than I thought he was going to? Yeah, but, I mean, you know what they say, two fights aren't created equally. And uh, I got Islam Makachev winning by submission here in this fight. If this was on sh not on short notice, what do you think the line would be at? I think this fight would still be the same as that line. If anything, maybe. Uh, well, it opened up at minus 200 Islam Akachev, and it went up to 265. So, I, no, I'm I just curious. Just trying to pick your brain because I think that 
there was a mentality issue for Volk in that last fight. And I know it's sort of narrative and he's talked about it. Like he's going to go in to try to finish him now. I, I think that's what he has to do because either he's going to go in and try to finish him and win big moments and then potentially win a decision that way and, or gets him out of there. But he has to like, he has to gamble. He's going to have to gamble when he gets advantageous situations. But at the same time, it's like, it, it's so hard because with Magachev, you can't, it's so hard to gamble. Because you gamble and you get taken down and then dominated for at least a round, if not, you know, submitted. So, yeah, no, I, I see the Makachev side of it. I think the short notice screams, uh, you know, Makachev. But I, I'm really interested in this whole Volkanovski talking about how he wants to go in for the finish. Because then it has me looking at, you know, what the over-unders are and, and where the value is on that. Because you're screaming, you're saying submission. Volk's saying he wants to go in for the finish. And although main events typically tend to go over a lot of the time, I just think this one technically could go under. So it, it's definitely interesting. I stayed off a side on this just because of the short notice and the fact that you motherfuckers stole Volkanovski. I say you to whoever, whoever's out there because Volkanovski was our main event for Toronto. And uh, yeah, we lose that and we get a, we get a interim. We get an interim. He talks, no pay-per-view. Um, let's just say that There'll be an announcement maybe by the time that I, I get to post this, if not right after, that uh, there'll be a, a Mr. Malat added to a Toronto card. Um, and it's pretty exciting. Let's just say that. I, I can't really – I'm not going to really get into it too much. But, uh, yeah, it's good stuff. So looking forward to that. I think that him – I think Volkanovski going off of the card. This card just feels like the – Whoever, I, I don't want to say Saudi Arabians and just sound disrespectful to the region, but the people of higher power over there in the Middle East were like, Uncle Dana, what's up? You got your flight ready? Um, We got a couple of changes for you, man. We like what you sent us. What you sent us is good. But how do you package. feel about these changes? And Dana goes, what are the changes? Islam versus Volk too. We want Kamara Uzman versus Chabayev. And yeah. let's give Askariyev a, a first-round finish or something like that. And Dana goes, that sounds fucking perfect. I'll tell Hunter and the boys. And it's just like, all right. And all right, let's goal. take Volk off Because, like, this um, fight, man, just see. But I'm with it. it. Like I, I am like with it. Obviously, you want to you want to see it. But then, even if he loses, it still leaves a door open for. Well, that was on short notice, you know. So it's yeah. almost like it happens, and then it's like, but we can run it back again. So it's like that's how they're looking at it because they know that there's more money to be made. They can rerun it again, even if it does. It plays out the way that most people think it's going to play. Um, Volk has that padded into you know, and I know he's not a guy to look to, look to excuses or doesn't play that way anyway. But that's how the UFC will run it because they'll run it back. They'll be like, well, the last one didn't sort of count. You know, it was it was in enemy territories on short notice. He went in there and look what he did. We'll hear it again, right? And then they'll play it back again. So um, either way, it plays well to some of the Canadians on the card in Toronto because there's more weight put on them. They get bigger spots, um, much, much bigger spots. It's um, interesting. Um, I did, I never even thought about it like that. Uh, if anything, I just thought that, uh, man, if that fight happens in January, whoo, child, it's gonna you're gonna have to talk me down and talk me out of it. But man, it might be one of I, I haven't placed a max bet in a very long time, in a very long time. 
but fuck, it might be max spec season. Get to the window, go down to multiple books in person, play it online, like any type would it might be Ilya Tapuria season, like for real. Max Holloway always is, uh, you know, had good reception in Toronto and I think has been sort of a man of the people in Toronto. We've had a couple guys like that, like Charles Oliveira is about two, which is why they had him on the card um, just in Canada alone. Everybody loves him here. So, but yeah, pretty excited about that. And uh, there's some good fights coming up as well, too. But, uh, you know, feel bad for John McDessie once again, because as much as we talk about the Breakdowns podcast, this is a Homer Canadian podcast, too. So I got to throw it out there, John McDessie. All respect to you. Um, but we move on. Anything else that you want to highlight, or shall we uh, take this home? How actually, how, quick, 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 quickly. How's I know you got basketball season coming up. I know baseball is winding down. Uh, football is sort of in the middle in the heat of things. And it, so, how's it been for you? And what's been going on for you with other sports and pub sports radio? Sure, you guys found me over there on pub sports radio, man. NFL season has been a uh, darling to me. On um, NFL season is always the example of. Uh, we're playing this for the long game and, uh, you know, first couple weeks of the year, we're kind of just break even weeks, had a couple of bad weeks mixed in there. But then the month of October has been red hot, man. I mean, 17 and oh, in our last 17 plays in the NFL and they're all player prompts. They're not like it, it. I'm not a spread better. It's more like touchdown props. Like, uh, you always see me talk about chalk spots, but man, there's some of these NFL spots that we've been smashing on. Like we hit uh, Josh Downs last week, anytime touchdown plus 330. Rookie found the back of the end zone with Gardner Minshew over there for the Colts. I mean, it's been a great year for the NFL, but uh, I think we should give the uh, podcast a little uh, bow on the top of this and uh, throw out some plays for the people, man. Uh, there's a couple of plays that I was thinking about as we we're talking, and um, I want to see if you're open to it. Um, the first one being Askariov and Saeed Nurmagomedov, two leg parlay, minus 157. Sounds good. I'm into it. I like it. You had to identify, quote unquote, fight to start round twos. What fights would you circle? Um, well, what did I have as the over? There was a couple of them that I was looking at. Um, kind like, of honestly, familiar. I think. Yeah, man, I think that could go over and, and there'd be decent value. I mean, the, the Basharat Henry one is obviously expected a little bit chalky at that point, but um, that was sort of how I attacked a, a parlay last week. It was Dakota, and it was actually, I went with McKinney round one and two, but it was more, I could have went with the under and been just as happy with the value. Um, but yeah, I'm down for a two piece. Uh, they don't have fight to start round twos out. If we could nail like maybe two or three fight to start round twos. Uh, including or not including the main event to start round two as the third one. I think that would probably be like even odds, like if the, regardless of the price tags of them. That's a very um, no goal scored in five minutes NHL parlay approach. I like it. Um, that's another thing that, sorry to, to jump yeah, back. Yeah. Like, Mr. Plus Money's been on those, but I, I, I definitely been looking at those ones, either that or teams that you know are going to score in the first 10. So you're, you're mixing back and forth between those. But those those no goals in five minutes, if you attack like two or three of them and you sort of ladder them and set it up so you have your most likelihood and then less likelihood and you pair them up uh, the same way the PRP would be done with Cody, that those those are those are solid. Those are those are those are cash. Sorry, I'm, I'm sidestepping the hockey Canadian boy. 
my advice to sports bettors is you could spread the wealth right now. This is the best time of year to really lay down like big bets. Like uh, I'll give you an example. One bet that I placed this week that I uh, tipped out was the Phillies to win the NL and Asakarium two leg parlay minus 115. Like I'm sitting at the Asakarium fight with the minus 115 big ticket right in my pocket and I'm fucking cheesing. Like the Phillies are, I don't have to bet the Phillies every day at minus 160, minus 150s and stuff like that. Like you could parlay things and it be multiple day events. Uh, that's the way that a lot of uh, old school people used to bet. It used to be like, parlay a basketball game with on Tuesday with the NCAA football game on Saturday or something like that. Like we're at that time of year where there's so many different events right now. If you can just identify maybe one fighter or something like that, parlay it up with something that you might see live while you're watching across the NHL or MLB or something like that. It's one of those type of weeks this week. Like you can uh, really return your money on profit. It just doesn't have to be on one singular event. I've been looking at the unders on NHL as well live. So when you see the team, like after that first period, you really get a sense. Last night was a, a quite a good scenario. It was uh, just looking at those unders and they didn't even get close. Under four and a half, hitting it against right at the under three and a half because you just know it's not going to happen and the value's still there. So, um, yeah, definitely a fun time when there's so many sports going on and, uh, you know, the Leafs are losing to Chicago, motherfucker. And then another way to approach this specific card could be uh, multiple event parlay. Like, Jalen Almeida against Derek Lewis might be one of the freest wins of freest wins that we're going to come across this year in a very long time in Brazil. You could parlay that up this weekend, and granted, like, you're going to have to wait a couple of weeks for your money, but you know when that car comes up, you can go – you can go about that card a little bit differently. So like one of the things I did last week was parlay Terrence McKinney up with a lot of these big favorites. Cause I thought these lines were going to go up a little bit. So when I come into this specific fight week, now I can play the Saeed Nurmagomedov minus 230 lines in a two-leg parlay or something like that because I already have exposure to those big money fights. I don't need to go run out a big two, one two-leg parlay or something like that because now I have this long parlay that's worth a lot of money and I didn't have to put a lot of money on. So, or you can hedge bet it like, like when that Tim Elliott and Mikhaev fight comes up as much shit as I talked on Tim Elliott, I do have Mikhaev in that big parlay from last week. So money would tell you to throw money on the other side. And that's how sometimes where you can result into fights being over, you can kind of overexpose yourself to the fight itself and you could just make a shitload of money. Like, uh, Russia Ronda Rousey, her first fight against uh, Stephanie Yeager is a prime example. You had Stephanie Yeager in the parlays, but then you hedge bet the sub prop of the other girl at plus 1200. And then if you, for whatever money you're going to put on those different parlays and stuff like that, I bet you $25 of the plus 1200 brought you back all the money that you would have made yep. slash lost on the parlay. So that's the way you kind of have to do these sports betting logics and stuff like that. Uh, kind of just, uh, play yourself with the chances and uh, try to beat the books because the books put up the lines. It's up uh, it's up to us to bet the lines. And you don't have to bet every fight. You don't have to bet every game. But if you can combine multiple days in a row or a couple of days that are spread out across each other, that's one of the liabilities that the books are having right now is uh, event parlays. 
it, it makes complete sense, man. Do better for your future self. Set yourself up for easier wins rather than having to scratch together a parlay or scratch together this or that. Already be sitting with the value that you wanted on that one spot instead of having to add value the night of. You already have the value baked into it because you've hit that parlay that was just really easy. And, and you have to know when you're looking at any sport, you have those spots that hit almost every night, whether it's a Trey Turner hit or whatever the hell it is. Like just constantly, those are like – Death taxes, they're hitting all the time. And if you just start stringing those together and that patience, people want right now uh, versus looking at the value that could hit by the end of the week. And what's the difference? By the end of the week, if you've hit multiple spots and stretched your bets and lost versus cashing in profit at the end of the week. I think that's what the name of the game is. So um, for Billy Briz of Pub Sports Radio, I am Callum McGregor. Tune to the Dota Podcast.